And for all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness, deep down things. Gerard Manley Hopkins from God's Grandeur. Welcome to the Deep Down Things podcast, a partnership of Logos Journal and Friends of St. Thomas Catholic Studies. Join us for a deep dive into Catholic thought, culture, and everything in between as we explore the depths of God's grandeur. Welcome to the Deep Down Things podcast. I'm Dave Devil. I'm a professor of Catholic Studies here at the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota, and also editor of Logos, a journal of Catholic thought and culture. I am the co-host of Deep Down Things, along with Elizabeth Kelly, who is a notable writer, speaker, spiritual director, and many, many other things. Liz, Mm -hmm. how are you doing today? Wonderful. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I am glad to be here with you and with our guest, Father John Neppel of uh, the Archdiocese of Denver, I believe, and St. John Vianney Seminary. Uh, Father Neppel, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Good to be with you, Dr. Devil and uh, Liz. Great to great to be with you. Thank you. Could you say a little bit about uh, about your background? Maybe a little bit of of your journey and faith and the priesthood and and what you're doing now at SJV in Denver. Yeah, well, uh, mom's a Minnesotan, uh, so I got uh, deep roots in the Twin Cities. Mm. You know, as you say up there, um, <laughs> where she she still says. Um, grew up in Colorado. Um, and uh, had kind of a dramatic conversion back to the faith uh, right before my senior year in high school, uh, which then led to a uh, rather wild decision to go to seminary uh, at 18, which brought me to the University of St. Thomas, uh, to the um, St. John Vianney College Seminary, um, where I was for two years, and then uh, was uh, began to explore Catholic studies uh, and fell in love. Um, mm. It was a great, a tremendous formation. Um, and still friends with some of the professors I had 20 years later. Then came back to Denver, finished my studies, was ordained in 2011, did a quick stint as a college chaplain at the University of Colorado, followed by a little parish work. And then in 2015, moved to Rome, uh, where I did uh, a doctorate over four years. And now I am back in Denver teaching and I'm on the formation faculty at our St. John Vianney, which we call Jack Jr., Jack Sr., the two John Vianney. So. Now, which one's junior and which one's senior? Then? This is the, se- this is the oh, senior. Okay. I know. So I'm, right. I'm moving up. Yeah, just yeah. just yeah. in yeah. terms don't, of where the seminarians t- are. That's, yeah, that's don't fair. tell Father John that, though. Liz's brother is the <laughs> yes. rector of uh, Jack Jr. That's right. Yes, the junior and senior. Well, I, I, I like that. So. And also a companion. You're, you're also a companion right. of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Like, am, wonderful. Yeah. As my brother is as well. So wonderful. Yeah, companions are a group of uh, uh, an association of diocesan priests who desire to live in community. I met them when I was at St. Thomas, fell in love, was able to bring it back with some guys in 2007. So the Denver guy or the St. Paul guys are celebrating 30 years uh, Mm -hmm. this summer, and then we're celebrating 15 years. And they're great brothers. We love Father John. He's Mm. the man. So yeah, I'm a little biased, but I agree. He's the man. (laughs) Yeah, he he is. He is indeed. Well, you have some great ties uh, here to St. Thomas and to the seminaries, and, and you also spent a stint as a chaplain for our Rome program, if I recall, for a few years. That's correct, yeah, yeah. I was with uh, a Dominican named Father Austin Litke and then a priest of St. Paul, Father Evan Coop, and we picked up this uh, wild Scottish seminarian who's now a priest, uh, 
Joe McGill, and uh, we had an amazing uh, three years together. Mm, so nice. it, was a, one, it got us through Rome. Yeah, so it was great. Well, we're grateful for your work, and we're grateful for the article that you contributed uh, to us. Uh, all fires burn out, resentment, in cigarette unsets, Kristen Lavrenstadter. It's a great, great title. Uh, many people know Kristen Lavrenstadter, the great trilogy of Sigrid Unset, Nobel Prize winner mm-hmm. in literature. But, but for those who haven't read the you know eleven or twelve hundred pages of of Kristen Lavrenstadter, could you give us a kind of uh, broad outline of the story and the main characters, so that people can sort of feel part of the conversation, even if they haven't read it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Kristen Lavrenstadter. Um, was recommended to me uh, by a friend about 10 years ago as is a buddy uh, companion. And he said, you gotta read this, you gotta read this novel. Mm-hmm. And I said, what is it about? And he said, it's the story of one woman's life uh, in medieval Norway. And I said, how long is it? And he said, 1200 <laughs> pages. And I said, I don't think so. <laughs> I was like, I'm not interested in this at all. Um, and then about five years passed and it kept coming up. People kept recommending this book. And, um, and so I finally uh, picked it up and um, was just absolutely blown away uh, mm-hmm. by Unstead. Uh, as we're going to talk about here, she is, uh, she's a masterful uh, writer, historian, um, but she's able to paint a world and, and create characters that, I mean, I would go to mass sometimes and I would be setting intentions for the mass and I'd be like, Oh, you can't do that. That's not a real person. That was in the novel. Uh, like <laughs> it, it gets that kind of worked into your world. So, mm. uh, so yeah, in the early 1920s, uh, Sigurd Unstedt, who's a um, Norwegian uh, author who uh, was in Rome for a bit in, in a bad marriage, finds her way back up to Norway um, and ends up converting to Catholicism as she's writing the story. So the first uh, of the three, The Wreath, comes out in 1920, followed by uh, the second which is called The Wife, 1921, and then The Cross, 1922. So 20, 21, 22, she publishes these three novels in succession. Uh, and again, they are um, the story of Kristen, Lavran's daughter, Lavran's uh, being her father's uh, first name. And uh, it's the story of her life. It starts when she's a young maiden uh, and ends uh, with her death at the end of the, of the story. Um, sorry, spoiler, but I'm not sure how else to <laughs> go through that. Uh, she doesn't live and, forever. Uh, <laughs> she doesn't live forever. Um, and it's this, it's the, it's one of the most powerful dramatic presentations of, of sin and grace, uh, mm-hmm. tracing her whole life from um, a, a kind of a betrothed marriage or a kind of a arranged marriage that she rejects. And then this love um affair that happens and then kind of reconciling this with the family and then her life beginning with this kind of unstable uh, husband adventurer, the son she has, and then uh, the end of her life, which uh, brings a lot of suffering and, uh, and different things, but the way that she kind of perseveres and uh, through it. So, yeah. So the, so the husband that she actually marries, his name is Erland, right? Yep. Erland. Erland Nikolasson, yep. I believe. Uh, and say, say a little bit about him, because it gives a context to, uh, to what you're talking about in terms of her own journey through, through a bad marriage that she has chosen, whether well or badly. Um, what, what happens in this marriage? You know, one of the things that I've, what I was captivated in the reason for the article was um, the way that 
um, he was triggering her. Um, one of the lines that she talks about uh, is his perpetual nonchalance. So I became very interested in uh, the nature of resentment, how it forms. Uh, I was, I honestly was looking at my own life and uh, dealing with uh, just some deep resentments and being like, how did this form? How does this, how do you get out of this um, interiorly? And um, so that's, I came across the work of this guy, Max Shaler, uh, who wrote the, uh, an essay on resentment. And then I started to reflect on Kristen. It kind of all was happening at the same time. And so, yeah, Kristen marries this handsome um, kind of, uh, kind of, uh, I don't know, adventurer type uh, who actually mm -hmm. rescues her. The, the story happens where they're, um, they're at this kind of festival and um, they get kind of attacked by robbers and he comes in and save, I mean, he saves them. It's just like a girl's kind of dream. Uh, but then he ends up um, getting her pregnant before they get married and um, just becomes a very unstable character uh he's just he's a uh, he's torn between kind of the selfish life of adventure and war uh kind of bored by the experience of family life just kind of a restless soul uh which i think a lot of men can relate to and he treats his life wife with again with this kind of nonchalance that um is the source of a lot of uh resentment and her kind of just feeling of unlove in the marriage it's passionate, it's romantic, it, and, the, and it flares up. I mean, certainly at the beginning, I mean, when this was written, it must have been pretty spicy uh, in the yeah, 20s. Uh, right. mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not explicit, but I mean, she really paints the picture of just what, what happens when Eros just rips you out of society, family, everything. And there are moments later in the marriage where they just try and keep founding their love on this kind of uh, this eros and, and this kind of romanticism, but it just ultimately continues to fail um, in that regard. Now, the uh, the the story then that that you tell, or the the way in which you interpret her story, is that um, you know Erland is an adventurer, and he has some very bad flaws. He treats his wife with this careless fashion, but really, this is Kristen's story, and Kristen is captured. Uh, by a resentment, it builds up, and there's a sense in which the story is really all about her attempting to deal with this resentment. But as you said, you've, you, you came across an account of resentment in Max Shaler, and perhaps it's a little deeper than what many people think. What, what is the characteristic of resentment uh, or ressentiment, as, as Shaler would say, uh, and how, how does it apply to, to the way Kristen develops in this story? That's a great question. Um, so yeah, 1913, uh, Max Shaler, who's a phenomenologist, so he's studying under uh, Edmund Husserl, um, and he's studying with, I mean, there's a lot of great thinkers here, Edith Stein, um, John Paul II does his doctorate on uh, Shaler. Um, but Shaler is, he's, the, the point of the essay is he's responding to a claim of Nietzsche, which basically says that the most delicate flower of Christian love is resentment. Mm. So Nietzsche's just reinterpreting the paradox of Christian life and saying um, Christ's attempt to subvert the will to power actually creates this kind of the deepest form of resentment. So Shaler's dealing with that. And in the meantime, he kind of gives us some helpful phenomenological. So he's just, it's descriptive philosophical language. Here's what he says. Resentment is the self poisoning of the mind, which has quite definite causes and consequences. It is a lasting mental attitude caused by the systematic repression of certain emotions and effects, which as such are normal components of human nature. 
Their resentment leads to the constant tendency to indulge in certain kinds of value delusions and corresponding value judgments. The emotions and affects primarily concern revenge, hatred, malice, envy, the impulse to detract and spite. So resentment in short is just re-sentiment. I'm re-feeling things. So I'm getting, so Kristen's getting triggered by things that um, Erland is doing to her and her response is not proportionate, but because it's, it's re-triggering the past. She's re-feeling. And what Shaler says is you start to feel things more deeply and they actually, if they're undealt with, they just become part of you. They just get buried further and further in. Uh, that's the, that's kind of the scary thing about how resentment operates. So he's really a bad guy, Erland is, but but what Kristen develops is is something that goes even out of proportion to what what he what he's done to her. That's is that is that a fair a fair assessment yeah. of the the story? Yeah, there's two things I would say to somebody who um, is looking at this notion of like. Um, first off, I love Kristen. I relate to her. I think she's amazing. Um, <laughs> um, but I think the two things I would say is there's not like a good and bad here. You know, it's not like Erlen's uh, good. They're both good and they're both bad. Right. Um, the Master of Hestvakin is a second novel that Unstead um, wrote in the late 20s. So she had she was converting through this novel, the later one. And I, I like to see it as like Secret Unstead is the study of uh, grace and sin in, in relationship between a man and a woman, but from a woman's perspective, uh, master of Hesvakin is same. It's, it's the relationship of man and woman, sin and grace, but from a man's perspective primarily. So I think that they complement each other well. And then I think the other thing to, con to consider is, um, says working out her own stuff through this. I mean, sure. it's pretty, you read about her life and you're like, this is a woman who, and that's what gives it so much power, uh, and force is that she really is, she has struggled with what Kristen is expressing. And it, that's, it, there's an intensity to the, to us as readers who then have to deal with our own experience of it, even if we don't want to. As the founding program of the Catholic Studies Movement in Higher Education, St. Thomas Catholic Studies is internationally recognized for its integrated Christ-centered approach to exploring 2,000 years of Catholic thought and culture. We provide a range of undergraduate and graduate programs, as well as professional development opportunities, all to help you integrate faith into your academic and professional pursuits. Catholic intellectual exploration or career preparation? Choose both. Visit stthomas.edu. That's stthomas.edu backslash Catholic Studies to learn about our online, on-ground, and hybrid educational options so you can learn and grow wherever you need to be. How, where do you draw the line? Because it is just and proper to respond to um, uh, an injustice <laughs> with anger. At what point do you tip over into resentment? Uh, wh where's where's the line and where does Kristen sort of fall into that trap? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, so Shaler, so Dr. Devo mentioned this earlier, Shaler titles his work Resentiment. So he keeps it in the French um, because he can't find a good German word to translate resentment. Mm -hmm. and it's the same, I think, in the English. Resentment is not anger. 
um, anger is if, if Kristen didn't feel anger, like there's a time when um, there's a tragic turn of the story where uh, Erland has an affair. Uh, if she didn't feel anger, I mean, the, there's something wrong with her. It's like, right. this is exactly what you should feel. So I think the difference with resentment is as, as Shaler says, it's the kind of the repeated experiencing and reliving of an emotional response. So resentment is the opposite of gratitude in some ways. Um, it's not really a kind of intensified anger. It's a, it's a different kind of way of dealing with, with reality. It's seeing everything through this one lens, this one kind of conviction. I'm trying to think what he says here. Um, it's a kind of intellectual recollection. So it's not just a passion. Resentment is not just something we feel. Resentment is something we commit to intellectually. You know, mm -hmm. as, as you describe it, it reminds me of Evagrius of Pontus, the, the fifth century monastic writer, his description of the logismoi, these sorts of uh, intellectual, spiritual sort of earworms that, that take over a person's mind. Uh, is that a fair yeah. assessment of, of kind of what Shaler's going at? Right on. Yeah. It's something that's like, um, it's, yeah, it's, it's deeply kind of psychic. It's not just this kind of affective movement that needs to be regulated by temperance. It's something that that's why it's so hard to root resentment out. Um, because it's just, once it's in there, it's kind of cancerous. And, uh, the point of the article was to say, Kristen lives uh, and struggles deeply with resentment, but she doesn't die in resentment. Yes. That's, that's what's amazing is that there's this scene as this, it's, it's the sunset up by the manor. Actually, I dragged Father Evan Koop to this place. So we went to Norway <laughs> and I was like, we're doing a, we're doing a Unstead tour. And he was like, you gotta be kidding me. So we're like driving out into these fields <laughs> in Northern Norway, trying to find the spot where Husseby was, which is the manor. And yes. he's just like, I cannot believe that uh, you're making me do this. But, um, <laughs> we saw the spot. It's just this amazing uh, view. And, and, her heart is moved to forgiveness. Like grace mm -hmm. really is operative. Grace really does work. And um, there's just this flood that, that uh, mm -hmm. of, of again, forgiveness and release surrender. Um, and that's what's, that's what's so powerful about the, the, the character is that we, it's not just resentment. Yeah. Yeah. We have to be predisposed to receive it. I mean, grace can right. fall on our head, but if we don't receive it, acknowledge it, if it doesn't have anywhere to soak into what made Kristen such fertile ground to receive it. Uh, you know, what would we model ourselves after? Uh, what would we want to aspire to? What made her so able to receive it in that moment? Yeah, I think, um, so the second time I read the novel, I paid more attention to kind of the the kind of the movements. The first time mm -hmm. you just everybody kind of dies around 400 pages into this. So if you're <laughs> if you listen to this podcast, and you're just like, I couldn't make it. It's like I get it. You know, a lot of people. But second time is better because uh, yeah. you kind of follow the contours more. But right before the sunset scene on the manor, um, north of the manor, um, is where his betrayal ends up turning on him and uh, betraying him and she loses him like he goes mm -hmm. to prison and he's sentenced to death and there's something about the reality of loss of losing him that awakens actually a deeper love um mm. so she's literally fighting with him right before exactly um, and then uh, as soon as she loses him she realizes what she had and mm -hmm. then that's kind of the openness so a lot of times suffering death 
um, just the reality of, of things that they are a gift and that we've been squandering them. There's a uh, gateway to conversion in, right. in losing them. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. that's, that's a big thing. So, well, let me tell you as, as a person who has resentments, uh, <laughs> aside from hoping that, that the people I, I have will be sentenced to death, um, <laughs> and losing them, how, you know, how, uh, right. You know, I mean, I think part of the question, you know, is how, how do I how do I be open to to letting that heal beforehand? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that the the you know um, that's just a, that's a great question. The first thing is, um, and I, I I would pair this with C.S. Lewis's um, The Great Divorce, which is another great kind of just profiles of what happens when loves our worldly loves our earthly loves are detached from god mm-hmm. they destroy us mm-hmm. um and, and so lewis's whole work and unstead um is about how do we authenticate loves in the love of god uh, and this is a deeply catholic instinct in the sense that like when dante loves beatrice in you know in in the paradiso he sees heaven in her eyes and mm-hmm. but she's mm-hmm. saying my there's all these, these eyes point to something deeper. Mm-hmm. And uh, so our earthly loves do point to divine love and they are moments of that. But if Eros tries to turn solely onto a, an earthly love, I think it destroys itself. And I think that's the tragedy of the, of the early marriage and the foundation between Erland and Kristen. So. As uh, well, Dave, you've taught this course too, but I taught woman and man here for probably 10 years or something. We spend a lot of time talking about feminine genius. Is there a masculine genius and so on and so forth. And you sort of make the bold claim here that women resent in a particular way, in a way maybe that's different from men. Um, You're suggesting that feminine receptivity, when it is maligned or distorted, uh, results in kind of a feminine way of resentment. Can you talk about that a little bit more is there a difference between the ways that men and women resent and if there is what's the import of that yeah excellent um yeah shaler shaler says that i forget what i quoted it's been a while since i've looked at this um and uh yeah he says uh the strong feminine tendency to indulge in detractive gossip is further evidence. It is a form of self-cure. The danger of feminine resentment is extraordinarily intensified because both nature and custom impose upon women a reactive and passive role in love, the domain of her most vital interest. Okay, so you could hear that and say, that sounds very anti-feminist. Um, <laughs> and may- maybe it is, maybe it is. But I think the, the point of the article is um, women because of their feminine genius, which is their, their ability to bear life within them, they are in some ways just so deeply relational that things are impressed upon them uh, in a relational way. Like, uh, you know, my mom knows my needs before I call her. I, how right. she know? Oh, you sound sick. You have a cold. How do you, know? it's just like women just instinctive. There's a, a deep level of, of relationality because of the way they're hardwired. Also because of the receptive nature and the order of self gift. So I think Shaler is hitting to something here. I don't know if I would use the exact words he, he said, but certainly there is a kind of proclivity towards resentment, not in the sense that women are more resentful, but just be, that there's a distinctive way that they would they would move into it 
in the same way that men, uh, they have a proclivity towards nonchalance, right? Mm. I work with guys who play video games. I hate video games. Mm. Um, I, I don't work with women who, young women who play, who are addicted to video games. So mm. there's just something there, mm. you know? Um, so that would be my first thought at it, but feel free to fire do, back. Do you think male resentment is, is perhaps the cause different? Uh, because women are so relational, it's a, a violation of a, of a friendship or a love. And for men, it has more to do with uh, a lack of respect or something like that. Is that maybe a fair assessment? Yeah, or? yeah, I think so. I think it's the same thing. It's all the same sins, yeah. but they're they're manifesting differently. Um, Earl Erlen resents his life. Yes, just as much as just as much as. Uh, Kristen resents him for mm -hmm. his, his, uh, nonchalance, his betrayal. Uh, he resents home life, uh, and he resents her, but he doesn't ever explicate it. Mm -hmm. Uh, he doesn't ever deal with it. He just runs, mm -hmm. he just runs away. He goes up North. He's fighting, um, fighting the Finns and kind of just on his boat, right? He talks, she talks about that as his one, his mistress, uh, which is ironic because then he has one. Um, so I think that resentment is there. It's just the way that Unstead is describing it in the woman is just, it shows something distinctive about the feminine and just the mm -hmm. way that it's man. But I, I really don't want to say that women are more resentful than men. Right, right. I still think that's true. But it mm -hmm. seems like cold fury is the woman's response to it and just running away is the sort of more typical male response. Yeah. I mean, this is all there in Genesis three, you know, yeah. we, we've all studied this, you know, the serpent is addressing with the, the feminine or the plural you he's speaking to both of them. What is the guy doing? Nothing. Uh, playing That's Xbox. Right. Uh, and then she's like, well, fine, if you're not going to do anything, then I'll take over. Yeah, and yeah. then it gets, and then it's, so it begins. Yeah. You know? the, the great theological organ, the Babylon B I had a story recently that a hundred percent of men would take fruit from a naked woman. So that, you know, there's, <laughs> there's all sorts of layers to this story. But, yeah, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's always good to come back to this Nobel Prize winning uh, work from a different angle, and because it is uh, as long as it is and as rich as it is, but there's something really genius in the way that Unset is exploring uh, human life, human family life. And um, as you, you use the word intensity uh, before, and but there's also something really um, approachable in it. I think mm -hmm. the fact that she, um, she makes the characters very um, approachable. You can see yourself in them. They're very real to you. And the the holiness and the virtue in Kristen is no less like available to the reader than is uh, the exploration of the resentment. I think that's that's part of Unset's genius is that she makes the characters very real, uh, but also um, very uh, at least Kristen is very available to grace and sort of unveiling that conversion. Uh, in a way that's very approachable to the reader. I don't know if I'm making sense in that, but yeah, it makes it makes total sense. And I think that um, we have these unbelievable um, literary um, examples in the 20th century, and Udsted is certainly one of them. Mm -hmm. But you think of like, you know, Charles Pegui uh, mm -hmm. and Bernanos and um, 
and even some who are not necessarily writers, but you know, Dorothy Day, Madeline Debrell, um, we just had this, we just, we got to keep probing into their insights because they, mm-hmm. they got it, mm-hmm. but they struggled to get it. And I think what you're saying, just kind of this acquired knowledge that comes through suffering, um, they're inviting us into that. Yes. Um, human life is messy. Yeah. Uh, relationships are broken and um, resentment is real. It's in us. If you don't think it's in you, then um, you're not paying attention. You're deluding uh, yourself. Sure. Yeah. So I just think that uh, I was exposed to a lot of these thinkers um, in Catholic studies. And I just, I just think we have to keep them before us because mm-hmm. they, they really help us to put the human flesh back on um, mm-hmm. ideas, especially in the moral life. Well, and that all suffering is really an invitation to be reordered. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. and in ways that we are disordered to be <laughs> reordered and orientated toward eternity and the the eternal reality of 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 the human person too. So, yeah, yeah it's uh, well, you know, one of the themes I think that's come through in this season. We've had several great episodes on on addiction and on moral excellence. And I mean, one of the things that I keep coming back to is this question of uh, hope for people to change and. You're, you know, the story of Kristen is one in which she is broken, but it's it's a long time of bro- breaking, and mm-hmm. it's it, you know it it gives hope that she, it does take her a long time, and yet uh, the resentment is um, defeated in a way. Yeah, it, there is hope, and Kristen yes. gives us hope, but she's going to walk us through. Mm-hmm. She's going to take us to places in our own life that we don't want to. And I, I just think that, um, yeah, Un said, Un says life is worth seeing. And then her other characters are just very interesting. So if, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're listening to this and you're just like, I don't know if I got 1200 pages in me, um, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ida Elizabeth is a great shorter contemporary novel. Um, mm-hmm. and then she, I just read, she has these kind of four short stories, uh, that are collected mm-hmm. now. Uh, Clooney media is doing a lot of republishing her work. And so you can get into this and just start to kind of, um, mm-hmm. But somebody of her experience, and I mean, she suffered when she was writing this, she was raising three kids Mm -hmm. um, and she had by herself in the teens Mm -hmm. during World War One by herself. uh, And she had not made it as an author. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was from that crucible in life that she came to uh, the Catholic faith, which, Mm -hmm. again, was like, you know, cultural suicide for a, mm-hmm. a writer in, in, mm-hmm. you know, uh, in Norway at that time. So I remember she, uh, the, she's just amazing. Yeah. I remember reading Kristen Lavin's daughter for the first time. And, you know, I'm going through the first book and thinking, this is excellent. This is excellent. But a Nobel prize, you know, this is excellent. This is excellent, but really the Nobel. And then you get to the last few pages, the last few scenes of that first book and you know my jaw is just hitting the floor oh, with yeah. how spectacularly she is unveiling these characters and and the reality of their complexity and their depth and and um, uh, so if you can make it through the first book even you'll 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 want to continue on with the others because you're so invested um, in the characters it it flies by those 1200 pages <laughs> it does it does and uh don't be you know a lot of times the names are super intimidating yeah um but uh you know you can get a little cheat sheet they have these things online sure. you know and like um and just just stick with it um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh yeah it's it's, it's great it was a great gift and 
And I want to thank you guys for uh, posting the article because uh, kind of brand new to this and uh, I was really grateful. I felt really just a lot of love from Catholic studies. So thanks, especially <laughs> Liz, Liz for that. So sure. Well, we're glad to uh, we're glad to do it because it is a great article and a great on a great set of books. Uh, you know, we'll have in the show notes some of these references to some of the works published by Clooney Media. I know Ignatius Press has published several, and of course, uh, Tina Nunley, who uh, retranslated the work about twenty years ago, is now at at work on uh, the Master of Hestviken and has, I believe, right. two volumes mm -hmm. done. Have you seen those volumes yet? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I haven't read them yet, but she's amazing. Yeah. And Master of Hestviken uh, is is a little longer it's four parts um and the translations are wanting so she's uh I, i'm excited to dig into that i think she's work i think the third of the four is coming out here pretty soon so mm -hmm. yeah you can definitely jump into that well thank you for being with us can you tell us a little bit uh about uh, some of your work i know you're a podcaster as well where else can we find your work oh thanks um yeah i started podcasting um in january 2010 because at the time, uh, Pope Benedict uh, said, hey, he was addressing young people and he said, I want you to use technology for the new evangelization. And we're like, okay, what should we do? We'll start a podcast. Nobody was listening to the podcast back then. Um, and so uh, Catholic Stuff You Should Know has been running for 12 years. I think we're at like, I think Thursday is the 540th episode or something crazy. Um, wow. And mm -hmm. uh, so we've been doing it for a long time. It's a couple of the companions. So um guys out in Denver, um, who are a little wilder than the Minnesota companions. So get ready for some, <laughs> some choice banter. Um, yeah, I think that, and then I, I'm, I'm grateful to see, um, my doctorate, uh, was on Ma the relationship of Mary and the church. Uh, mm. and that'll be coming out, uh, early next year, um, through Emmaus academic. It's called the Mary church perichoresis and, mm. uh, excited to see that out. And yeah, hopefully just, uh, uh, be able to keep, thinking and writing and stay connected mm -hmm. to the great Catholic studies world. So be sure to send it to us when it's out. I will for sure. Well, fantastic. Thank you very much, Father Napple. Hey, thanks again. And thank you, Liz. As always, uh, we have great conversations on this podcast. Pleasure to be here. We thank you to the listeners for joining us for uh, this great episode of Deep Down Things with Father John Nepple. Uh, Deep Down Things is a partnership between Logos Journal and the Friends of St. Thomas Catholic Studies. And we hope that you'll visit our website, patreon.com backslash deep down things to become a patron of the show and to continue the conversation. We thank you. And until next time, uh, God bless you.